go across the sea for me to see to my love there she goes above the misty hills to the clouds that are above she rides high on disco lights but i fear that she smells my fear I once danced in a rainbow below the earth Only once, but nothing was more clear That I must continue to fight for the divine Right to die the tunnel It is far too bright Man, it seems out of sight Hello, listeners. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And this is The Weekly Hangover. No, it's not. We are both very hungover, though. <laughs> I'm okay. You're okay? I'm just tired. Okay. I don't want to talk to anyone today. Right. <laughs> but I'll talk to you. Okay. Uh, me and our uh, 30 weekly listeners. Huh? You, uh, me, and my, uh, me and our 30 weekly listeners. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. All right. Um, we had a, uh, a bar stocking party last night. Mm-hmm um lots of booze uh lots of liquor there was lots of liquor <laughs> i don't usually drink liquor either. yeah um rachel made some very nice cocktails i tried yeah i killed half a bottle of jameson you did damn <laughs> you must be hung over <laughs> a little bit okay yeah. okay <laughs> i'll speak softly <laughs> no loud noises will keep the lights down loud noises <laughs> um like mercury barking at us that he wants to go outside yeah um yeah how's your week been it's fine it's yeah. good it was okay it was okay i mean i was supposed to work today but some high school wanted to take it and i am so grateful yeah i have to go in and do a couple things but i'll deal with that after this right perfect how was yours it was pretty good i'm uh i'm about two weeks out from my winter vacation and i'm just very ready to you're so close take my winter vacation yeah you're so close you're this close <laughs> i had a my mom texted me on uh, Wednesday of uh, of this week and was like, go ahead and buy your sister her plane ticket up to Kentucky. Um, and uh, So I went online and I bought her a plane ticket from Texas up to Kentucky and then a return ticket from Kentucky back to Texas. And she messaged me about a day later and was like... Um, so somebody at my store quits, and so I won't have a winter break, and so I won't be able to come up to Kentucky. Um, and so uh, my the ticket is in my sister's name, and it, my mom was the one whose card paid for it. Oh my gosh! And so my mom was like, "Can you cancel that flight for me?" And I was like, "I don't think I can." I was looking through it and was like, "Nope, it's either got to be you or Rachel." Because yeah. It's Rachel's name on the ticket. It's your name and on the card. card. Yeah. <sighs> so that was that was a little stressful, but other than that, it's been pretty pretty good. Pretty easy going week. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. We just counting down the days to vacation. I understand that. I know. I'm going to toss in a couple weeks yeah. for like four days. Yeah. Well, I'll be on for four days. It'll be one day of full driving, two full days there, and then a day back. Yeah. <clears throat> you excited? I'm so excited. <laughs> It'll be really nice. I think. I hope that the like. And, we don't get like a huge snowfall. Yeah. Because I plan on leaving at like 6 a.m. 
to get their dinner time that time. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> I need to figure out with my new car where the cruise control is because yeah. I haven't quite done it yet. I haven't taken, like, I haven't had to go anywhere to see, to use cruise controls. So yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, do you want to get into today's episode? I'm ready. All right. You might actually have heard of this one. I'm not sure if uh, my favorite murder has covered her or not. Ooh, I'm real excited now. Uh, have you ever heard of Lavinia Fisher? Uh, tell me what she did, and then I'll remember. Uh, according to some reports, she was the first uh, female serial killer in the United States of America. All right, maybe. This maybe. does sound familiar, but let's get into some more gruesome <clears throat> details. Okay, so this one was is... Was she a nurse? Uh, I don't think so, okay. no. Uh, this one is uh, very hashtag armchair apocrypha because there are conflicting stories. Love it. Um, she was, uh, her and her husband resided in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, they owned an inn, the Six Mile Wayfarer House, uh, which they managed in the early 19th century. The hotel was located about six miles north of Charleston. Um, during the couple's time there, reports were made to local sheriffs about uh, guests disappearing. Um, however, the sheriffs couldn't do anything because they didn't have any evidence. Um, and it was an inn, so people, mm-hmm. you know, came and went. Um, the uh, Lavinia Fisher would invite lone travelers into the Six Mile Wayfarer house uh, to dinner and ask them questions about their occupations, trying to determine if they had any money. Um, just sort of vetting yeah. them. Uh, will anybody As miss you? Yeah. <laughs> will anybody miss you if you're gone? Do you have any cash on you? I gotta go. Bye. Questions like that. <laughs> uh, and then she would send them up to their rooms with a cup of poisoned tea. Uh, once the men drank their tea and went to bed, her husband would go to the room and make sure that they were dead by stabbing them. Oh, okay. That's a good one for yeah. way to make sure they're dead. <laughs> you know what they say? The couple that slays together stays together. You know what? I believe it. <laughs> Uh, another version of the legend was that the tea would only put the men to sleep for a few hours. Um, when they were asleep, Lavinia would pull a lever and the bed would collapse and drop their victims into a pit. I like that. I, I, I like, like that one a lot. I like the elaborate Yeah, lever, yeah. yeah. Um, some believe that there were spikes waiting for them at the bottom of the pit. but Okay, that's a little too much. I like just the lever into the pit part. Yeah, it's probably an apocryphal story, not real. Uh, much of what actually occurred in the alleged murders at the hands of John and Lavinia Fisher has become wildly exaggerated through time, so factual details are hard to find. However, contemporary news <clears throat> accounts in the Charleston Post and Courier claim that a vigilante gang went to the Fisher's neighborhood in February 1819 to stop the purported gang activities that were occurring there. Satisfied that they had accomplished their task, they re- the group returned to Charleston, but left a young man by the name of David Ross to stand watch in the area. Early the next day, Ross was attacked by two men and drugged before the gang uh, that had terrorized the region. Among them was Lavinia Fisher, to whom he looked for help. However, rather than help him, she choked him and then smashed his head through a window. Damn. Yeah. Do not get on her bad side. <laughs> Got it. Got Please, it. Please, yeah. Just don't, I'll go into another room if she walks in. Don't piss off Lavinia. No. Uh, immediately following this incident, another traveler, na- uh, another traveler named John Peoples asked if there were any vacancies. Lavinia replied that there was unfortunately no room, but he was welcome to come inside and rest and have some tea. John happened to hate tea and not wanting to seem rude. He dumped it while she wasn't looking. Uh, She interrogated him for a few hours and eventually said she discovered that, in fact, they did have a room. He then went to bed. 
He had felt suspicious about the interrogation mm-hmm. and was worried about being robbed. So he decided to sleep in a wooden chair by the door. Ooh. In the middle of the night, he awoke to the loud sound of the bed collapsing and discovered Fisher's plan. He jumped out the window and rode to Charleston to alert the authorities. Oh, damn. After these two incidents, the assailants were finally identified by name, something that law enforcement had previously lacked. Uh, police were dispatched to the location, and during the ensuing investigation, Lavinia and John were located, along with two other gang members. John Fisher surrendered, uh, surrendered the group in an effort to protect his wife and shield her from possible gunfire. True love. <laughs> Later, during interrogation, he again attempted to protect Lavinia by giving the identities of all involved in the gang, except her. Uh, nearly a year later, um, uh, nearly a year after their arrest, uh, came the execution. Uh, their arraignment, the Fishers pleaded not guilty, but were ordered to be held in jail until their trial, which would take place in May, uh, while their co-conspirators were released on bail. At the trial, the jury rejected their pleas of innocence and found them guilty of highway robbery, a capital offense. Not murder, strangely. <laughs> Uh, however, the judge allowed an appeal, and they were given a reprieve until January se- uh, the January session of court. During this time, the Fishers occupied themselves with plans of escape, as they were housed together at Charleston, South Carolina Jail, or the Old City Jail, in a six-by-eight cell uh, that was not heavily guarded. On September 13th, they put their plan into action and began their escape. Things did not go as planned, as the rope that they had made from prison linens broke, leaving Lavinia trapped in the cell and John set free. He was unwilling to continue the escape plan and was recaptured. Two were then kept under much tighter security. Um, <clears throat> on February 4th, 1820, both were sentenced to be hanged. Awaiting execution, John accepted the counsel of Reverend Richard Furman, a local minister, but Lavinia became even more vitriolic. On the gallows in front of the old city jail before John Fisher's execution, Reverend Furman read aloud a letter John had composed, which stated that he had become a Charles Christian. Um, he could, since he had become a Christian, he could not be executed with a lie held to his account. Therefore, he insisted uh, on his innocence and asked mercy on those who had done him wrong in the judicial process. After the minister read the letter, Fisher then began to plead a case believed uh, before the, the gathered crowd of some 2,000 people. He then seemingly contradicted himself by asking for their forgiveness. Believing that she would be pardoned up until the moment she was hanged, <laughs> Lavinia, according to legend, used her last breath to scream, If any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now, for I shall be seeing him shortly. Oh, damn. So she knew. And didn't give a shit. <laughs> Lavinia was buried in a potter's field near the old city jail. Um, there are also two uh, two other supposed burial grounds, um, which appear to be uh, fictions promoted by tourists or tour guides. I like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had done that one. Or okay. if they do, I don't remember it. That was really good. Good. I enjoyed it. Good thing I didn't do a murder. <laughs> I'm not even doing a person. What did you do? I was going to have this, but I'm just not in the mood for it right now. Um, I'm going to talk about the history of Coca-Cola. Okay. I have a little tiny can back there, but I really don't feel <laughs> like it. I always drink or eat and drink pretty well on mornings, but I literally have had a slice of pizza and brownies. So uh, yeah. <laughs> this thought of a Coke does not sound appealing right now. Maybe right. in like six hours I'll have one. Maybe. So... Confederate Colonel John Pemberton, who was wounded in the American Civil War, became addicted to morphine, which was quite common back then, Um, began a quest to find a substitute for the problematic drug. In 1885, at Pemberton's Eagle Drug and Chemical House, which, what a badass name, (laughs) um, a drugstore in Columbus, Georgia, he registered Pemberton's 
Pemberton's French wine coca. Coca. Nerve tonic. <laughs> Nerve tonic. Nerve tonic. His tonic may have been inspired by the formidable success of Vin Mariani, a French person's cocoa wine. Okay. But his recipe additionally included the African cola nut, the beverage source of caffeine. It is also worth noting that a Spanish drink called Cola Coca, K-O-L-A, um, was presented as a contest in Philadelphia in 1885, a year before the official birth of Coca-Cola. The rights for the Spanish drink were bought by Coca-Cola in 1953, though. Okay. So in 1886, when Atlanta and Fulton County passed prohibition legislation, <clears throat> um, Pemberton responded by developing Coca-Cola, a non-alcoholic version of his French wine cocoa. It was marketed as Coca-Cola, the temperance drink. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which is hilarious. Um, which appealed to many people. Um, the first sales were at Jacob's Pharmacy in Atlanta, Georgia on May 8th, 1886. That's where it debuted. Okay. Uh, where it initially sold for five cents a glass. Drugstore soda fountains were popular in the United States at the time due to the belief that carbonated water was good for the health, which has made a comeback somehow. Um, and Pemberton's new drink was marketed and sold as a patent medicine. Okay. Claiming it had a cure for uh, Pemberton claimed it had a cure for many diseases, including morphine addiction, indigestion, nerve disorders, headaches, and impotence. Gotta always add that in at the end. Um, the first advertisement ran on that same year in May twenty on May twenty ninth in the Atlanta Journal. Okay. So by eighteen eighty three, three years later, three versions of Coca Cola sold by three separate businesses were on the market. Um, I'm not going to tell their names because they aren't important. Okay. Um, not codified by any signed document, a verbal statement given by Asa Candler, who was like a person who was a co-partnership with Pemberton. Um, years later, asserted under testimony that he had acquired a stake in the company as early as 1887. But John Pemberton declared that the name Coca-Cola belonged to his son, Charlie. Um, but the other two manufacturers or whatever could use the formula. Anyways, I'm going to skip through some of the boring stuff. Okay. So, after Candler, who owned had like a Coca-Cola company, uh -huh. gained a better foothold of Coca-Cola in April of 1888, he nevertheless was forced to sell the beverage he produced with the recipe head under the names of Yum Yum and Coke, K-O-K-E. That was while Charlie was selling the elixir, although a cruder mixture under the name Coca-Cola, which I love. All with his father's blessing. After both names failed to catch on, by the middle of 1888, the, um, or Candler's catch on, the Atlanta pharmacist was quite anxious to establish a firmer legal claim to Coca-Cola. Uh, so, skip forward, like, two months later, John Pemberton died suddenly on August 16th, 1888. So, he literally only saw his company for, like, two, maybe three years. Okay. Um, so, how would you pronounce ASA? ASA? Yeah. ASA? ASA Candler um, decided to move swiftly to attain full control of the entire Coca-Cola operation. Um, Charlie Pemberton, John's son, yeah. was an alcoholic and opium addict. Um, just to keep that in mind. So Candler is said to have moved quickly to purchase exclusive rights in Coca-Cola from his son immediately after he learned of John's death. One of several stories state that Candler, hashtag armchair apocrypha, states that Candler approached Charlie's mother at his fucking funeral and offered her $300 in cash for the title to the name. That's super poor taste, dude. That's a great taste. Where else should I ask? <laughs> um, so Charlie, though, 
was found on June 23rd, 1894, unconscious with a stick of opium by his side. Ten days later, he actually died at um, Atlantis Hospital at the age of 40. Um, so, um, with this, um, Candler was, had so control, became technically, or, sorry, technically, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, on August 30th, 1888, Candler had so control um, about... Or with Coca-Cola, basically. Sole control over Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. So he, by May of 1889, he was now claiming to have full ownership of the Coca-Cola beverage with a total investment outlaw over um, amounting to $2,300. Big money. Big money. So we're going to skip forward like 20, 30 years. So just so that we have a couple ideas. So on September 12th, 1919, Coca-Cola Company was purchased by a group of investors for $25 million and reincorporated. The company publicly offered 500,000 shares of the company for $40 a share. So it kind of went public. Right. Um, so that's a little brief history. So let's talk about bottling. So the first bottling of Coca-Cola occurred in Vicksburg, Mississippi on March 12th, 1894. The proprietor... Of the bottling works was a guy named Joseph Bynaham. Um, they were very different from the much um, later hobble skirt design of 1915 that we're kind of familiar with. And I'm talking about glass bottles, yeah. obviously. Um, it kind of looked more like a bean, like a very wide bean, which is kind of funny. Okay. So... The longest-running commercial Coca-Cola soda fountain anywhere was Atlantis Fleeman's Pharmacy, which first opened its doors in 1914. Jack Fleeman took over the pharmacy from his father and ran it until 1995, closing it after 81 years. Can only imagine why. Um, on July 12, 1944, the one billionth gallon of Coca-Cola syrup was manufactured by Coca-Cola Company. Cans of... Um, yep, that was it on that. Sorry. So, let's talk about my favorite, New Coke, which I'm really sad I never got to try. New Coke. So, on April 23rd, 1985, Coca-Cola, amid much publicity, attempted to change the formula of the drink with New Coke. Follow-up taste tests revealed most consumers preferred the taste of New Coke to both Coke and Pepsi, but Coca-Cola management was unprepared for the public's nostalgia for the old drink, leading to a backlash. The company gave into protests and returned to the old formula under the name Coca-Cola Classic on July 10th, 1985. So they went back three months later. You could still buy new Coke up until 2012, okay. but it wasn't much. Yeah. They finally stopped like distributing it. So in November of 2009, due to dispute over wholesale prices of Coca-Cola products, Costco stopped restocking its shelves of Coke and Diet Coke for two months. A separate pouring rights deal in 2013 saw Coke products removed from Costco food courts in favor of Pepsi. Boo. Um, anyways. So here we go. This is what everyone always talks about, the formula for Coca-Cola. The exact formula for Coca-Cola's natural flavorings, but not its other ingredients, which are listed on the side of the bottle, is a trade secret. The original copy of the formula was held in SunTrust Bank main vault in Atlanta for 86 years. That is this oh, there it went <laughs> maybe okay there it goes for 86 years i lost my spot oh yeah 
Its predecessor, the Trust Company, was the underwriter for the Coca-Cola Company's initial public offering in 1919. And then on December 8th, 2011, the original secret formula was moved from the SunTrust Bank to a new vault containing the formula, which will be on display for visitors to its World Coca-Cola Museum in downtown Atlanta, which I've been to, and it's really fun. Yeah. According to Snopes, a popular myth states that only two executives have access to the formula, with the executives having only half the formula. However, several sources state that while Coca-Cola does have a rule restricting access to only two executives, each knows the entire formula and others, in addition to the prescribed duo having known the formulation process. So it's still only a handful, but they both know it, which I think is hilarious. I want that job. But you have to be an executive. You can't. That's just not your only job, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, on February eleventh, two thousand eleven, this was I thought was interesting. Ira Glass said on his um, radio show, "This American Life," that TLA staffers had found a recipe in Everett Beale's recipe book reproduced in February of nineteen seventy nine, issuing the Atlanta Journal Constitution that they believed was either Pemberton's original formula for Coca Cola or a version that he made either before or after. The product hit the market in 1886. The formula basically matched the one found in Pemberton's diary. Coca-Cola archivist Phil Mooney acknowledged that the recipe could be a precursor to the formula used in the original product, but emphasized that Pemberton's original formula is not the same as the one that is used in the current product. Well, it doesn't have cocaine in it anymore. So. No, it doesn't, which we're about to get to. <laughs> when launched, Coca-Cola's two, ingredient, two key ingredients were cocaine and caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> the cocaine derived from the cocoa leaf. Um, and the caffeine from the cola nut, hence how we have cola nut leading to Coca-Cola. Right. Um, although Coca-Cola denies usage of cocaine, Pemberton called for five ounces of cocoa leaf per gallon syrup, a significant dose. In 1891, Candler claimed his formula, altered extensively from Pemberton's original, contained only a tenth of this amount. Coca-Cola once contained an estimated nine milligrams of cocaine per glass. That'll put a pep in your step. For comparison, a typical dose of wine of cocaine is 50 to 75 milligrams. In 1903, it was removed. After 1904, instead of using fresh leaves, Coca-Cola started using spent leaves, the leftovers of the cocaine extraction process with trace levels of cocaine. Since then, Coca-Cola has used cocaine-free cocoa leaf extract prepared at a company plant in New Jersey. Okay. So long after the syrup has ceased to contain any significant amount of cocaine... In the southeastern U.S., dope remained a common colloquialism for Coca-Cola, and dope wagons were trucks that transported it. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. Do-do-do. All right. So, cola nuts act as the flavoring and the source of caffeine in Coca-Cola. In Britain, for example, the ingredient labels flavoring, including caffeine. Cola nuts contain about... Um, 2 to 3.5% caffeine are of bitter flavor and are commonly used in cola soft drinks. Thank you. Um, Coca-Cola contains about 34 milligrams of caffeine per 12 fluid ounces. Just for comparison, an 8-ounce cup of coffee has about 95. Okay. So it's not as much as people think, but it still can be a significant amount. Yeah. Since it announced its intentions to begin distributing in Myanmar in June of 2012, Coca-Cola has been officially available in every country in the world except two places, Cuba and North Korea. Okay. However, it is reported that to be available in both countries as a gray import. Right. So here's some fun facts about Coca-Cola that I enjoy. 
Though some of the more serious health effects of sodas are well documented today, Coke enthusiasts of the late 1800s were not exactly concerned with the effects of sugar water on babies. Fussing infants were sometimes given drops of the drink in hopes it might calm them down. A few drops won't hurt. A few drops. The only thing more persuasive or pervasive than Coke's distinctive bottles are its aluminum pull-top cans, yeah. which were born out of necessity. The company came up with them so they could be shipped to armed forces overseas. While practical, the materials needed were rationed during World War II, and the company couldn't produce them for troops until the conflict ended. Conveniently and easily distributed, Coca-Cola began offering them to civilian customers in 1960. Okay. When Coca realized a good portion of their customers, by one estimate 12%, consumed their sugary caffeinated drink in the morning instead of coffee, they decided to launch an aggressive marketing campaign promoting themselves as a morning pick-me-up. Coke in the Morning was launched in several test cities in 1988 with the idea that it would be easier to guzzle a a cold can of soda than a hot cup of water. The company was careful, however, not to imply soda could replace orange juice because they owned Minute Maid. In 1990, Coke mounted an expensive promotional campaign dubbed Magic Cans. When consumers purchased sodas, they had a chance of acquiring a special spring-loaded can distributed at random that would spit out a rolled-up bill valued from $1 to $500. Okay. To make sure buyers couldn't tell the weight of a real Coke from that of a prized container, the company filled it with a solution consisting of water, chlorine, and ammonium sulfate. While it tasted and smelled foul to discourage drinking, some consumers gulped it down anyway and then threatened to sue. <laughs> Rival Pepsi ran a similar contest, but didn't bother with the misdirection. It just gave consumers a number to call to claim the prize. Two consumer product giants have been joined at the hip since 1955, when McDonald's owner Ray Kroc contracted or contacted <laughs> contracted contacted the company about providing fountain drinks for his burgeoning chain of fast food shops. Coke has since partnered with the Golden Arches on menu development like smoothies and even allows them to use its corporate facilities when expanding globally. The best perk of all, however, might be the with the drink itself. According to the New York Times, Coke ships its syrup to McDonald's locations in stainless steel containers, not conventional plastic bags other suppliers use. This the result is said to be the most delicious, precious Coke available is at McDonald's. Okay. All right. Some more fun facts. More than 10,000 Coca-Cola soft drinks are consumed per second. Wow. Jesus. Stop drinking Coke, guys. Yeah. Coca-Cola was the first soft drink in space. It got there in 1985 and beat Pepsi by a whopping eight hours. Nice. If all the Coca-Cola, if all the Coca-Cola bottles in the world were laid end to end, they reached to the moon and back more than 1,677 times. That's a lot of bottles. That's a fuck ton of bottles. Coca-Cola is the second most known phrase in the world after okay. Is that not crazy? That's pretty crazy. I thought I'd like to end it on that one. It's a brief history, (laughs) a very brief history of Coca-Cola. Did you ever hear... The second common phrase after okay. That's what kills me. Did you ever hear all the uh, conspiracy theories about New Coke? Like they were, uh, they did it um, because they were replacing their... uh, their uh, man- manufacturing whatever the um, they were replacing their system and so they introduced new coke and then once the, f- the system was fixed they just rolled out old coke again coke classic mm-hmm. things like that now and then there hashtag was another armchair one hashtag armchair Procfa. there was another one where it was like they intentionally released new coke um expecting it to uh, make people angry mm-hmm. so that they could re- release coke classic and um people would go buy co-classic uh 
because they wanted the old formula back. Yeah. There's a lot of conspiracy theories about Coca-Cola doing it on purpose. Oh, well, that's interesting. I mean, I've, it's not that far-fetched. I don't believe it. I could believe it. Yeah. Crazy, man. <laughs> it's wild. Second most common phrase, which Second is crazy because it's common. like everywhere. Everyone knows it, so Coca-Cola, no matter what you speak or yeah. what language you speak, sorry. All right. Uh, that was our episode for this week. We're going to get out of here. Rachel has errands to run. Oh. I'm going to nurse my hangover a little while. Um, there's some brownies you can eat. <laughs> uh, as always you can find us uh, online our website is absentactivismarts.wordpress.com uh, we've got my my stories um, are free uh, we've got links to all of them uh, my books are for sale uh, in the shadows of my mind and red hats and black masks um, we've got katie's artwork uh, she is open for commissions uh, if you're looking to get something uh, done up for uh, one of your loved ones for Christmas, uh, she will draw anything. Um, go check out our friend Christine Renee Farley on uh, Facebook. Um, she's an actress, and she's got a lot of um, videos out. Uh, our musician, Joshua Paul Brooks, uh, who last month got signed to a record label, um he's got music available on the website um you can find us on facebook at absent activism arts uh you can find us on twitter at absent act art uh and i am on the fediverse as awm rights and if you want to see pictures of our little uh problematic dog <laughs> um he's very cute uh, I'll, have, I'll have pictures of him on my instagram at awm rights um is that everything sounds good to me cool all right we're gonna get out of here we love you and we'll see you next time under the tongues of men lie the simple truths of terror but my love's eyes make bright the night skies and clears the stormy weather in the rain i'm like a wet dog in my hunger it in intensifies but the thunder clears all my mind sounds and the fear it is justified the lightning scorches the plains the fantasies go up in flame the distinguished author goes insane but my love she remains just the same